Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Great leaders care greatly. They care greatly about those that they are leading, who they are responsible for. And a very good example of this is John. And when I speak about John, I'm speaking about the gospel writer, the one who wrote the book of Revelation, and in addition to those two books, three short epistles, obviously 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Now, hopefully, you're aware of this study that we are in the midst of, of 1st John. We've completed the first chapter. We began the second chapter last week, and now we're ready for chapter 2 and verse 12. Now, I mentioned to you that John cared greatly about those that he was discipling, who he had influence over, those that he felt a great deal of responsibility for. And therefore, he wrote instructions to them. And these instructions, they are very significant. They teach us how to walk obediently, how to live out our faith in a most practical way. So let's begin. Take out your Bible and look with me to that location, 1 John chapter 2. And we're going to begin in verse 12, where it says, I write to you, children. Now, some English Bibles, they will say little children. But really, this is simply the generic word in Greek for children. It is not masculine or feminine. He could have said if he wanted to, I write to you sons or I write to you daughters. But he says here, I write to you children, and he chooses a very specific word and this word shows endearment in other words it reveals his special feelings that he has a relationship with these individuals and he takes this relationship very seriously and the responsibility that this relationship produces he understands that these people he is going to have a great role in leading them and he wants to do it in a proper way so so much of what he is sharing is for edification to grow people up to make them strong believers and effective in their faith so once again verse 12 i write to you children and what he says here initially in this first part of this passage he says to all believers, children, he's speaking to all those who are in the faith, all those that he is discipling, both young and old, new believers, and those who are mature in their faith. 
And they all have one thing in common. And what is that? Well, notice what it says here. I write to you, children, because your sins are forgiven. Now, we can just pause there for a moment and think how wonderful, marvelous that is. That there is a means for all of our sins to be forgiven. There is one way, one resource, and what is that? The precious blood of Messiah Yeshua. Only through His work do we find justification. We spoke of this word last week. Justification for our sins. That we might be in a right and eternal relationship with the living God. And therefore, he begins this passage by reminding all believers. He says that your sins, all sins is the implication. Your sins are forgiven, have been forgiven. And notice what it says, through his name. Now that means by means of that name. The verse of scripture that comes into my mind when I hear that is Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 where we find that Luke, he says, by no other name, there is no other name, under heaven, by which and only which can bring salvation. Which one is saved by, and that is that most important name, a beautiful name, Yeshua or Jesus. It speaks about salvation and the context for the name Yeshua. When we go, for example, in the book of of Luke, where it says, His name shall be Yeshua. Why? Because He will save, save His people from their sins. So if we are a, a member of God's family, our sins have been forgiven by, through, by means of His name. Look at verse 13. Now here, there's a slight change. He says, I write to you, and it says, fathers. Now, here, it's speaking about those who are older, more mature in the faith. And they have realized something. Notice what it says. I write to you, fathers, because you have known. And this is in the perfect. It speaks about knowing this in the past, knowing it now, and knowing it into the future. That you have known him. Now, literally, this word him, I've translated it this way, is just the definite article in the accusative, which means I know that one. And the one that we're referring to is Yeshua, that they have known him. And this implies for a period of time. Some scholars say that they have because of their their maturity, maturity in the word of God. They have understood this this suffering servant. They have seen in the time past and now and understand into the future the person of Messiah, what he was sent into this world to do. They were expecting one in such a manner to be a savior, redeemer. So he says, I write to you, fathers, because you have known this one from the beginning. He also says, I write to you, and this speaks about young ones. Now, we're not speaking about young children 
or children, we're speaking about young adults. Those individuals who have been in the faith and are strong, we'll see this in a moment, who are strong in the faith. And this strength has one outcome. There's something consistent, something that is is a, a common experience for everyone who is strong in the faith. We have a shared objective. And what is that? Notice what he writes in the middle of verse 13. I write to you, young ones, because you have overcome the evil one. Now, it can be the evil one or evil in general. And when it says overcome, the implication is this. They have victory. They are living, walking, behaving in a victorious life. And he's going to tell us in a few minutes how that came about. What was present in their life that made them strong, that gave them this victory? And by the way, the word here for victory is the word where there's a athletic company called Nike. And this word Nike or Nike, as some pronounce it in Greek, it has to do with victory, defeating, overcoming the enemy. And this is what it speaks about here, that you have overcome, that you have victory over the evil one. And then he writes, look now to verse 14. I write to you, and this is a word for also a a child. Now, this is one who is a child, but not a newborn, but rather someone who is a, a probably a younger adolescent. And this word has to do with one who is in a position of service. He is a faithful son, a faithful daughter. Now, by the way, Yeshua in the book of Acts He's called twice in Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. Yeshua is called the servant of God. And literally, it's the same word. It means a, a young person, very young, who is obedient, who brings honor to, who carries out faithfully, successfully, the, the purposes of that one who has authority over him so when messiah is called the the servant of of the lord it's because of his obedience because of his commitment to the purpose of his heavenly father he is demonstrating authority so it says here i write to you this word children or or young adolescent because you have known the father now, here it speaks about Father, and we understand this can mean Father God, but oftentimes Father has to do with authority or provision. They know that God is the provider. They look to Him. This being young oftentimes can show a dependence. One of the things we learn from the Son of Man and why He's called the Son of Man is because He's an example for us for every believer and what did he demonstrate what did he show he showed dependence upon his heavenly father that he relied on he heard and he obeyed he trusted in and this is what it's saying here what it speaks about these these young people it says 
that you have known the Father. Now look at verse 14. Here there's a, a slight change. Because when we look at verses 12 and 13, it says, I, I write to you. Did you hear that? I write to you. But when we come to verse 14, it's a different tense of this word for writing. He says, I have written to you. And he says, fathers. And he says the same thing. Because you have known this one from the beginning. Now, this term from the beginning is something that we know that John wrote, this same John, in his, his gospel. How he began his gospel in chapter 1. That which we have heard and seen from the beginning. So he writes something similar here. When we read in verse 14, I have written to you fathers because you have known this one from the beginning. I write to you or literally I have written to you same new tense. I have written to you and he says young people and here he's speaking about not a young adolescent but more of a, a young adult. Someone who may be uh, 18, 20, 25 a young adult and it says i have written to you these young ones because you are strong now the question that we have to ask ourselves is this there's a change he says something different about them he says because you are strong the question is this how did they become strong what was it that gave them this strength, this power? We've learned this same group of people have overcome the evil one. They are not being dominated by evil, but they are living a victorious life. And notice what the scripture says. Because you are strong, and here's the key, middle of verse 14, and, and this is a conjunction, this answers grammatically. This answers why they are strong. And the answer is, the word of God in you remains. Now, this is the word order. What he's emphasizing is the word of God first and foremost. Then he wants to say that word is located in you. And not just that it's in you, but that it remains. What does that speak of? A commitment. So what we should take from this passage is that we if we want to be strong we need to remain in the word the word is supplied to us in order that we are strong and what is the outcome of finding strength in this way well the last part of verse 14 says and you have overcome you have victory you have defeated the the evil one or evilness now what does that speak of well one of the implications of this victory is that you are going to be in god's will why the word here evil it speaks of that which is immoral ungodly unrighteous simply not god's will we are not going to be out of place we're not going to be in that which is related to those things against his will that doesn't give us strength what strengthens us is the word of god and the word of god is truth and it's this truth 
that's going to move us in God's will. And being in God's will, he's going to supply to us power. And that power is going to cause us to have victory in our life. Victory just doesn't happen because you say, I believe that Yeshua is Lord. You can be saved that way, but you may not live. You may not live a, a life of victory, a life that testifies of your salvation experience. Now let's go to verse 15. He says, and here's a commandment. And by the way, we see so many commandments in the New Testament. You can't read the New Testament, especially the epistles. And I'm speaking about all the epistles. They're full of commandments. And he tells us sometimes what to do. And he tells us other times, commands us what not to do. Here's something that he says not to do. This is incompatible with our faith. Verse 15, he says, you do not love the world. That's the commandment. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. Now, this is, is pretty clear, but we need to understand it has far-reaching implications. He says, don't love the world. Love is a word of commitment, a word of giving. So don't give yourself over to the world. And don't love the things that are in the world. He's going to tell us why in a moment. But this is a good time to stop and ask ourselves, well, what about me? When someone looks at my behavior, when someone checks the priorities of my life, do they see that the priorities of my life are the things of this world? If it is, I am in disobedience. I'm not living in truth. I'm not walking in the strength of God. I'm not demonstrating the knowledge of, of, of the gospel in my life. So he says, do not love the, the world nor the things in the world. And then he makes something very clear. Read on in verse 15. He says, if someone. Now, this is a word tis, which means anyone. Sometimes it's, it's more specific. It can be translated a certain one. But in this case, it's, it's very far-reaching, a very broad. If anyone should love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, that's pretty clear. It doesn't take a lot to understand it or try to, to, to wrestle in your mind some, some interpretation. Just take it for face value. He says, if anyone should love the world, it is not, then he says, the love of the Father in him. Now, for, for smoothness, we would simply say, the love of the Father is not in him so again we need to ask ourselves do i love the things of this world when i pursue when i have as an objective the things of this world i am not walking in the love of the father and if i'm not walking in the love of the father i'm not going to be experiencing the love of the father and when i'm not in his love I'm not going to see things from his perspective. I'm not going to be interested in his purposes. So what happens, as I say so frequently, when, when we begin to love the things in this world, it puts us on a downward spiral. Instead of being on that upward call, 
we are on a downward spiral, spiral out of God's will. So very clearly, if anyone should love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When we love the things of this world, we're not going to experience the provision, Father, provision. We won't be receiving his provision. He's not going to supply our every need. He is not going to give to us the things we need to serve him because we're not interested in serving him. And then he says, verse 16, because all, this means everything. Now, that's a pretty inclusive word. He says, because, verse 16, all that's in the world. What's in the world? The desires, some Bibles translate it lusts, but it just means a strong desire. He says, what's in the world is this. The love of the flesh, not the work of the spirit, but the, the desires of the flesh and the desire of the eye. What does this tell us? It tells us that such a person is going to be led by what he sees. And when we're led by what we see, we're going to be easily manipulated by the enemy. And a great example of that is, is Shimshon, that is Samson. Samson did everything by his eyes. And therefore, he was moved away, moved away further and further from the purposes of God. And in order for him to be used successfully by God, what happened? His eyes were, were, were stabbed out. He couldn't see. Isn't it interesting? Salmon, Samson only served God because he was blind. All the wrong decisions that he made in, his, made in his life is because of what he saw. He saw and he desired. So he says, all that's in the world is the, the desire, the lust of the flesh, the desire or the lust of the eyes, and, and this next word is the word for pride, but it's, it's a word. In English, we have the word ostentatious, and this means something that you do to cause attention to yourself and what you have. It's, it's emphasizing your possessions. Now, this makes sense. Why? Well, if you were seeking the things of this world, you're going to want to know, want others to know what you have, what you have achieved in this world. This is not appropriate for a believer. So we shouldn't live this, this prideful life, this life of arrogance, this life of futility. And why is it a life of futility? Well, just keep reading. We'll see in a moment. But the second part of verse 16, and the pride of life, it says, it is not from the Father. God didn't give you this, this desire to exalt self, to, to achieve things and acquire things in order to, to show them to other people. That's not God. So he says, this is not from the Father, but it's from, it is from the world. Now, if your life is based upon the things of the world, watch out, because it's going to come to an abrupt end. And how do I know that? Well, I know that from the book of Revelation because the book of Revelation warns those who are, are, their life is about accumulation, having more and more and more and more. You know, there's a, a show on, on television. We even get it in Israel. 
and it's about those who, who collect things, all sorts of things. And, and people buy some of that and then they sell it to make money and their whole life is about accumulating. They sell off a little bit to buy some more. So frequently they say, well, what are you going to do when you sell this? I'm going to buy some more. What a life of futility. So they are always accumulating. And, and so frequently it's hard for them. I mean, they're coming to the end of their life. And many times they don't want to sell. Why? Because these things represent their life. Now, isn't it sad when possessions really are the sum total of what your life has achieved? These things are perishing. How do I know that? Not because I'm smart, because I read the Word of God. What does the Scripture say? Well, look, if you would, to, to verse, verse 17, our last verse. And the world is passing away. Write that down. It's going to happen. This world is passing away. Now, in the same way that a human being, doesn't matter who you are, with time, you age, you begin to wear out, your body doesn't function as good as it used to, you don't feel like you did when you're 57, and as you did when you're 17 or 27 or even 47, there's a change. So we are, are confronted each and every day. We're wearing out. We're coming to an end. We are passing. Now, when someone dies, we say they've passed away, but they've been passing for quite a time. They're just away. That's the difference. They're passing, now they're away. So it says about this world, it says the world is passing. And hear this. This is such a profound statement that John makes. The world is passing away and its desires. Now, what, what is the implication of that for us? Here's what John is saying. All those desires that, that a person has for the world, they're going to wear out as well. They're going to give away in a moment. And we see sometimes people taking this approach. As they know their life is coming to an end, they do give. They start liquidating, giving things away. Not selling them necessarily, but giving them away. Why? Because they realize that it's this nice act of kindness that really gives them satisfaction. Those desires that they had for that object, they've passed away as well. Those things that, that sometimes people labor for, make sacrifices for, after a while, it loses its significance. They just give them away. They just put them down in some storage shed, some basement, some attic, and they go, I didn't even know I had it anymore. That's what happens. And when the judgment of God begins to manifest itself, and it's going to, it's approaching, people are going to have a big-time change in their desires. They're not going to long, longer desire the things of this world, but the things of, of the kingdom of God. And for many of them, hear this, for many of them, that may be you, it will be too late. So he says, verse 17, the world is passing away and, and its desires, but, 
And that is such an important word. But in contrast to, notice what he says. Instead of passing away, being no more, de de decaying and disappearing, it says, but the one who is doing, and it's so important that this is a, a participle. Why? A participle is an action word, but also a descriptive word. It describes one by their action. The Bible says that God knows our works. So, but the one who does, not the desires of the flesh, not the desires of the world, but the one who is doing the will of God. I'd highlight that. This is what I need to meditate upon, focus on, and build my life upon. The will of God. If you don't know the will of God, how miserable your future is. If you're not living in his will, if you're not living committed to his will, how futile. This is what uh, the book of Kohelet Ecclesiastes was saying. This is what this wise one, the most wise one of just a normal human being, King Shlomo Solomon, was teaching. All the things, he got it all. He had wealth. He, whatever he wanted, he did not deny himself. And what did he say at the end? Those desires passed away. It was all futility, vanity, nothing of any lasting consequence. And that's why he says, here's wisdom. Keep the commandments of God. That's what he says. That's wisdom. And the commandments of God revealed to us the will of God. So many people don't know this. There is an inherent relationship between the commandments of God and the will of God. So he says, the one doing the will of God remains, he continues on, into, and there's two ways that we can understand this word, into the ages, meaning he has eternal life. He, he carries on, he remains forever. But this same word could be, and I believe it is, it is used in Hebrew. I realize this is Greek, but it's used, its counterpart is used in Hebrew as an adjective that describes the kingdom. That which is forever, when we hear that word forever, it's a kingdom word. It has a kingdom connection. So what it says here is this one remains where? In the kingdom. But if you're not part of that kingdom, if you're not part of the family of God, then you're not going to know that kingdom experience. Well, that's what John is saying in these few verses. So important. Such wisdom. Not difficult to understand, but it takes a great deal of prayer in order to apply that revelation what John taught us to our lives in a right way. And my hope is that you will take that time of prayer, that you would meditate Study thoroughly these verses and apply them appropriately, properly to your life that you might be one who is doing the will of God. You'll never have any remorse, any regret, any second thoughts about your life if your life was rooted, founded upon the will of God. Well, I'll close with that. Shalom.
Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel. Shalom from Israel.